Hey, quick thing before we dive in. Are you a professional working in the country music industry? Because it is time to renew your membership to the Academy of Country Music. Not a member yet? All good. Now is the time to join. You can still do it. Academy members are among the most respected leaders in the industry and hold the right to vote on ACM awards. They also receive exclusive benefits, including monthly educational panels and invites to networking events, early access to tickets for Academy events, discounts for ACM partner events, regular industry data and insights, and so much more if you are interested in applying for membership or if you need to renew your membership. Visit acmcountry.com slash membership. Again, that's acmcountry.com slash membership. There's time to renew, but time is closing because all renewals are due October 15th. So don't delay. Guys, we're talking about the ACMs here, okay? I mean, this isn't like your Joe Schmo, whatever, you know, this is the ACMs. It's like, get on board. Come on. I don't know what else to tell you. It's like, you got to do it. Okay. Enough of that. Let's dive in. The Zach Kuhn Show. Okay, here we go. Episode 84 of the podcast with Dustin Boyer, a partner at Venture Music, the digital marketing firm. You know, I met Dustin a couple years ago at a tons event, believe it or not. And I we met on the patio like like outside of of this of this building and i think we just we just started talking we ended up talking for like two hours and we shut the event down and dustin's on that i think i could just talk to dustin for hours about all kinds of different things music related marketing digital marketing everything under the sun we just have long conversations whenever we get lunch or or whatever it is we always end up just talking about everything for hours it's never quick with dustin this podcast might actually be the shortest conversation i've ever had with Dustin, look, we keep it at an hour because your time is valuable, and, uh, and you know we're, we're keeping it short and concise and to the point here on the Zach Kuhn Show. But look, I got to tell you, Dustin, incredibly knowledgeable about digital marketing, about influencer marketing, about growing a fan base, about streaming promotion, how to grow a following on Spotify or on a streaming service. Few do it better than Dustin. Few understand it better than Dustin. Few want, want to even put the time in as much as Dustin puts the time in. Dustin, has, he's an analytical mind, which I am not. A lot of great information here. I'm, I'm rambling. We got to dive in. Here we go. Episode 84, Dustin Boyer. Let's dive in. Okay, Dustin, let me ask you this. When I first met you, this is going back a couple years now, you were doing third-party playlisting, which at the yeah. time felt like a legitimate thing. I mean, at you, the time it was. I at the time it was. It was a legitimate thing. Is this dead now? You have completely moved away from this. You're yeah, not doing it, this at all. Is this dead? Why is this dead? Yeah, so I, I quit doing it back in like June of 2019 when I came up against this wall of these playlists I used to pitch to and these uh, influencers that would just add music for fun uh, kind of switched to this paid method, which I knew was against Spotify's TOS. And I was sort of like having hangups about it, but I think I sort of convinced myself, like, I was like, you know what, this is the way the world works. You know, uh, <laughs> don't hate the player, hate the game. Uh, and then Spotify came out with that whole thing where they just started straight up banning playlists and accounts that they found out were paying for playlists in June of like 2019. And I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm done. And you know, it's funny because Charles Alexander, I don't know if you know Charles, but he was kind of in my ear, like, 
you know, six months earlier, like, you know, you should, you should end this. And he was right. Um, but you know, it, it's gotten so much worse since then because there's this feedback loop when it comes to these third-party playlists where essentially they, when you start charging for them, you start trying to monetize people's engagement. And when you do something like that anywhere, people can sniff it out. People start to see when things are bullshit and engagement drops. So in order to increase engagement, you sort of have to like bot things. And so what happened is all the really great playlists to pitch to that were just like people's love for playlisting. And, you know, they did, they were like Joe at Starbucks who just happened to have a playlist. They all got just purchased by companies. And then that happened where the engagement would drop. Then they would start botting things. And it's just gotten so bad that there's no, there's no new playlists that are being, well, that's not true. There are some, there are influencers on TikTok growing playlists for the love of it still. But for the most part, they understand now right out of the gate what the value is. And they've created their own machinations for how to make money off of that without selling it to like some scummy third party, like playlister guy. Um, but I will tell you, and I, I did a piece of content about this recently. There, there is not a single playlisting company that I've had a client work with in the past two years where it wasn't botted, period. Like, and we don't even recommend anybody um, because everybody that we worked with that we would have recommended stopped doing it because it became impossible to do playlisting without botting. Um, and, and, you know, and by the way, I, all of this is very specific to third-party pitching. That's what I'm really talking about. There is a world where playlists can play into your marketing plan. Um, we do, we use playlists for all kinds of different reasons. I mean, if you have a song on a Spotify editorial playlist, you can run an ad to it and have your song on that playlist autoplay. So Spotify sees more plays in comparison to other artists on like, that's, that's a playlist strategy. That's, right? that's a different thing. Are there yeah. any playlists outside of, I guess, the, the major label playlists and then the Spotify playlists? I mean, I work in playlist pitching for a label. I don't care about getting on anything other than official Spotify playlists. Are there any playlists left that are that are legitimate? I mean, you kind of mentioned these influencer playlists. Is there any, any anywhere else worth getting on other than official label or, or Spotify playlists or other DSP playlists? They're, they're out there. Like there are influencers, especially on TikTok, that are curating their own audiences. Um, we do it too. We have like our own audiences that we grow. There, these playlists exist. The problem is basically promoters who are trying to pitch them. Like if you're a manager and you're like, I got a buddy who has a playlist or I know an influencer that, um, you know, I want to reach out to like that sort of stuff. Yeah. Like that, that to me, there, there are these little like smatterings of playlists that are really worthwhile, but don't hire somebody to do it. Like just go find those playlists and just ask them the question. Cause it's really like, it's like 10 playlists probably in your world that makes sense to just go have a conversation with them about. So and is that the, what's the strategy? Because sometimes I'll talk on like college panels, like I'll talk at Berkeley panels where I graduate from for, for students. And the number one question I get asked always is how do I get my song on playlists is what yeah. every kid wants to know. And I always tell them that you're out of luck because the problem is that you need to have really great relationships in order to pitch this music and to get these playlists or you need to be in a position where you're creating music for the playlist and then you need to have the relationships is there any other strategy if you're a kid in college can you be strategizing this or if you're a kid in college do you have to just focus on the music being incredible 
Well, it, it's it's funny because asking about how do I get on a playlist is it's like asking like how do I how do I play for the the NFL right like how do I play like there 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 is not like one answer to that there's not that's probably like a really dramatic like hyperbolic uh, analogy but um, you have to sort of ask yourself a question of like well one what playlist do you want to be on because different playlists have different values, different audiences. And, and two, like what gets those artists on those playlists? Um, you know, if I had to, you know, say in a sentence, how do you get on playlists? I would say post about your music, create a piece of content around your music on TikTok five times a week. Like if you really want to talk about the quickest way to get onto an editorial Spotify playlist is that it is a numbers game when it comes to TikTok. And if you keep being creative and putting out short form video content on TikTok, eventually it's going to do well enough that you create an audience that Spotify takes notice. Like that, that is probably your easiest way to it, funny enough. I agree, but no one's really left. There's no one left. So in conclusion here on this little segment, <laughs> this you can't, there, there are no companies left that are doing it because I still think there are companies doing this. But oh, for sure. But it's a scam. It's it's pretty much everything's gonna be a scam in this space right now. Well, and I'll tell you that like I have friends who work at some of those companies and they've tried to mitigate it in a way that is still authentic and genuine. And certainly like they're just trying to go after playlists with real people. The problem is is that it's uncontrollable. Like you can't if you're you're pitching to something that anybody can fake and you can't always tell like you really you can look at certain indicators and be like yeah that, something's fishy there but like for the most part you can't tell um if somebody's botting their playlist so i like i said i've been a part of so many campaigns in a tertiary way like i'm working with an artist and they've hired a company and i could point at those playlists and sometimes it is straight up bull like you can be like every single one of these you can playlists tell. is completely bought it. but sometimes you'll have like three or four playlists that are like look genuine and real, but then it's always weird though, because it's playlists that don't make any sense. It's like, you'll be working with a rock act and they're on a classic rock playlist. And you're like, yeah, this, these are real people, but like, this is doing nothing, but more than anything, any, you know, honestly, all of that aside, like bots, is it real? Like uh, the biggest thing is that a playlisting strategy doesn't allow you to retarget anybody. It's a dead end when it comes to marketing. Um, there are ways to make it not a dead end. Like when we run ads to playlists for artists on their music, we know that even though the ad itself is like, hey, do you need workout music? And then we send them to a workout playlist. We know that they're going to hear the artists that we're marketing. So we can retarget those people that listen to the playlist via the ad data. And they're going to be like, oh, I've heard this song somewhere before. Like it's psychologically, it's going to be in there. And that's retargeting. But outside of that, like, you get on, like you hire a playlisting company, let's say every playlist is 100% real, you get all these streams, then you get taken off, then what? Like, where, where are you heading as an artist? Have you created a genuine connection with people? No, you've just kind of pushed your numbers in hopes that somehow it breaks out, but it's not radio, right? Like, it's not going to just break out into other playlists, like radio breaks out into other radio markets. And it's, it's similar with TikTok, where everyone's trying to get that one viral video and that, you know, even though that's probably more genuine than the bots that we're talking about here, that doesn't, if you don't have a fan base up, if you don't have mechanisms to capture those fans, that one viral moment 
is not going to, is not going to be it for you. Why are you so passionate about this? I like you, this is almost like personal. Like when you talk about this, <laughs> you are so passionate about this. And then you also, there was just an article in Rolling Stone that you were quoted in about sleep music. And you've also, you've, you've gone other sh- podcasts to talk about this. You've written some blog posts about this. This is like, like you're, tr- I, f- I just sense your passion. Why are you so passionate about bots and a uh, true playlisting? Well, man, I, I feel like, um, well, one, I used, I used to be a musician and then I was a manager for like 10 years yeah. and I do have this deep compassion for the plight of an artist. It, it is already near impossible to be an artist. So when you have companies or you have people scamming or taking money out of artists pocket, it just, it, it just drives me nuts it, because like I talk to these artists, you know, I, when artists pay us to do a job, I lay awake at night if it's not going well, because I realize that these artists, you know, they, they are giving it everything. They're not paying us, you know, well, some of them have money, but a lot of them don't. A lot of them are just like, I scrounged for this. And so it just, I, I don't know. It, 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 it bothers me to know him. And it's gotten me into trouble. Like when I was really a big anti-botter guy earlier this year, late last year, when it was a bigger issue, um, and then that Rolling Stone article came out and then it was, I was connected to it and, uh, I got a lot of cease and desist and threats, death threats, uh, associates of mine that I worked with got those too. Oh, and it was God. just because you're threatening people's way of life and, but they're, they're hurting people. Like, and I just, I can't, I don't know, man, life's too short, like to, to, to just scam people and I, I don't know it's just it's built into me for some reason but even the um this whole like sleep thing it's it's more of a gray area for sure like they they're not scamming anybody but what they're doing is and i i, I mean it's it's a company called strange fruits but they're not the only one who does it uh, i think they're they're just most successful because they pour the most money into it but what they've done is they take a two or three second clip of rain, right? Like how, how much, you know, rain can just repeat. And then they made that into 25 hours and then they cut it up into 31 second clips. So each one of those 31 second clips of rain is, is getting paid the same thing as a song by your favorite band, right? Like that, that, that in our royalty system equals the same thing. And that's really the problem, right? Like, you know, people are always going to take advantage of stuff. Uh, but I'm sorry, like uh, rain sounds for 31 seconds should not be paid the same thing as like your band's favorite song. And then do people go listen because it's like relaxing? It's like white noise. Is that why? And is that what happens? Well, see, and this is why it's even more egregious because it's set up to be played when you sleep. Right. So instead of using the noise night. machine, yeah, you're running it all night. So literally they went, this, the count that this is released on went from like nothing it, it, within two months, went to 10 million streams a day. Wait, what's the account? Can you find it? Or do uh, we, yeah, or... it's called, it's called like sleep. And this is why I get in trouble. Cause I, I straight out say people's name sleep fruit. I think it's sleep fruit. Uh, this is fascinating. Is it grouper sleep? Sleep, sleep fruits music. Sleep Fruits Music by Strange Fruits. Yeah. So, well, that's the playlist and Strange Fruits is the label. But if you look at the actual songs, you can see underneath they have. Oh my God, there's like a million monthly listeners on this. But 
if you go look at the actual streaming data, it's, it's literally, I think it's up to like 12 million streams a day. And of course it is, right? Because people are turning this playlist on and going to sleep. So every 31 seconds while you sleep is a stream for them. Is a stream for Sleep Fruits Music. This is fascinating. Um, so what's the, so does, does a DSP have to come in and kind of mandate this? Is that the solution? Well, it kind of reminds me, and I forget the name of the band, um, but there was a band, what was it, like five years ago, they they put out an album of just silence music, right? And their whole thing was that they released a, a silent album and they told their fans to just go put it on while they sleep. And they racked up like 70 grand worth of royalties. And Spotify came in and was like, you can't do that, right? So Spotify came in and was like an arbiter of like, you, you're gaming our system. I see this as sort of the same thing but kind of even worse because it's not even like one band. It's just, I mean, it's a producer guy who owns a label. Um, and, you know, I, I think that a lot of people have had, I've had a couple of different spirited debates in the last 24 hours. And um, a lot of them are saying like, okay, so if I go and have a, you know, I pay somebody work for hire for an instrumental track and I make a playlist and I advertise that playlist, is that the same thing? And I'm like, no, because you're, somebody's creating that music, somebody's curating it. Like, and I get that there's a fine line, but this is like, I mean, to even cut these at 31 seconds, like the bare- That's kind of the problem, right? Like why not run them for three minutes? And right? like, they're, they're, they're hacking it. Well, and the problem is that all of this is a pie. All of Spotify payout is a pie. So all they're doing is they're scooping in there and they're just taking a piece of the pie. And I'll tell you, I have artists that I've worked with for years and their monthly rates on Spotify keep going down and down and down, even though their streams go up because of companies like these coming in and just scooping as much as the pie as possible for the sake of taking that money. But is that, I mean, couldn't that also be because every day you've got 40,000 songs added to Spotify and the song numbers are going up much faster than the subscriber numbers are going up. But it, but this is contributing to it, right? These 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 rain douchebags. <laughs> yeah, and, and look, you're not wrong. And I think that's what a lot of the arguments have been. It's like, dude, you can't, like, there's so many songs. This is a drop in the bucket. Um, and I think that, like, I get that argument. And look, I don't know the math. Um, you know, if you go look at the Rolling Stone article, he compared it, an artist, Spotify for artists to Lady Gaga, it gets more streams a day than Lady Gaga. And oh you can say, God. well, you know, this Lady Gaga's overall effect on the ecosystem really cut into everybody. But it's it's the fact that this is just the tip of the iceberg, that they're not the only ones and other people have been doing it longer. They just haven't been doing it so aggressively. And so they haven't racked up the numbers. But, you know, I think that if you, if Spotify were to address this and say like, hey, we have to fix this, I guarantee that other rates would go, the rate would go up. If they were to say, hey, you can't do this unless it's a four minute track, everybody's rate would immediately go up. Very interesting. Okay. I feel like we're only scratching the surface here, but we've got a lot to talk about. So we have to move on. Venture, talk to me about Venture. So you were originally working out of the same building as Venture Music. And then eventually you joined and now you are the media director and part, you're, you're a partner in the company. How did you guys come together? Was it because you guys were working on similar things in the same location? How did the partnership come together? Yeah, we had, we had similar epiphanies. We were all, me and the other two partners were all managers for about 10 years. 
uh, they were honestly more successful than me. They had American Aquarium and Delta Saints, and they were having a lot of really great success. And um, we all sort of had um, our experiences in management, and we would hang out and we'd commiserate about it. And then we would this talk about- This is Chris about- Nardone and Brian and- um, and Brian Massengale, yeah. And at the time, it was just the two of them, right? Yeah, really just the two of them for yeah. like 10 years. I mean, and granted, like small management companies generally- that's Are tight are, chips, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're just like two or three guys. So we would have these these meetings and I had started to really parlay that into a, like a full-blown marketing service. I had my own core of like 10 clients and they started, they had a lot of success. They had worked with Moon Taxi on Moon Taxi's rise. And so like they- they ended up having so much success that they were just like, we have to move into this space. Like, this is, this is where we want to be. Uh, Chris came to me and said, we're making this move. Do you want to be a part of it? And I was like, only if like, I'm a partner. And so, yeah, we formulated back in like um, June of 2019. Like that's when we decided like, let's do this. And the company dropped all of its management company or clients. I dropped all of my management clients, which was like sort of depressing and also like very freeing at the same time. Um, but I mean, I'll tell you, man, like management, uh, it's, I, I know I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but I think in a lot of ways, it's riskier than being an artist. Um, you have so little control over your career and your assets that artists, artists have the option to say no to things, but managers like the deals they cut. I mean, if you, if you think about it, like if I have an artist who's doing nothing and I build them into a multi-platinum star Yeah. in any other industry, that would be equity. If I built your business with you, I'm a partner, just like I'm here at venture. But when it comes to artists, that's just not how it works. So what happens is, and I've got friends and this happens all the time where they'll pick up an artist and the artist will fire them or something will happen or the artist will just quit. You know, that's what happened to me. I built an artist into and they a touring out. machine making half a million dollars a year. And the artist showed up and was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I didn't even blame him. I was just like, yeah, like do live your life. But that was half my salary that walked out the door. It's nuts. It's like the iPhone walking into an, an, uh, an Apple board meeting and being like, I don't want to be an iPhone. There's almost like this taboo that you can't, you can't have a cut of what, you helped build and were such a big part of, right? Like, isn't it like- That's, it's, it's weird, right? Like, it's, it's weird that weird. it's interesting that there is this idea that like, you don't have ownership in something that you were such a big part of because of the artistic integrity behind, what, right? Like, what am I trying to say here? Which is what you said. It's interesting, right? It's, it's, it is weird. And it, it's like laden in art. So you can't push it because then, I mean, even the deal that they ended up cutting with Taylor Swift and trying to hold on to whatever value and whatever deal they cut with her, their fans, you know, are, they will, they will fight you. Like they, I, and, and I'm not to say like, I don't know that situation. And for all I know, like, I don't know who's in the wrong and who's in the right. Um, but even take my situation where nobody was in the wrong, like nobody um, that that's just weird anyways. Right. Like that your business can just dissipate overnight just because it, it doesn't want to be, the product doesn't want to be in business anymore. Um, so managers, I mean, all that to say, my point is that like being in management, I was just like, this is so risky. 
Um, meanwhile, like I had a friend who was managing a band that he grew from nothing that was, you know, went from like within a year doing nothing to playing red, selling out red rocks. And his experience was even worse. And listening to him, I was just like, dude, it's time. I it's maybe I'll come back to it, but like, you know, I want to do marketing and, and I don't know, it's been such a good move for me personally, because financially it's been great, but also just it's it's been more interesting it's been more fun it's more dynamic it's certainly more stressful but i get to work i worked with 100 artists last year like i would never have gotten to do that as a manager that's one of the things about management that i used to not like is that you're very boxed into the team that you're working with into the artists that you're working with in other areas like building venture music you can talk to a ton of different teams a ton of different people i think it makes it more interesting so media director like what, what does that mean what is that um so I'm actually, I'm actually the marketing director now. Marketing uh, director. Nobody, nobody tells yeah. me these things and nobody updates the website. So I, the website, the website probably still does see media director. Um, so first of all, huge, huge promotion here between marketing director and media director. I mean, yeah, but I kind of gave it to myself because I'm a partner. So it's like, you, you know, whatever, it's, you do whatever you want. So marketing it, director, what, what does that mean? I, I mean, I, I kind of get a sense, but walk me through it. Yeah. And, and, you know, honestly, it's so different for everybody. And so, you know, we, we started as a team of three, we're a team of, of 12 now. Um, and, you know, I, at the beginning, it's so funny because me and Brian have more or less the same skill sets. We're both graphic designers, but we're also both like media people. And we just had to choose a lane. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'll handle all the media stuff, which is like ad buying, right? Like it's, it's all of that. And he handled all the, like the, the creative stuff. And so he's the creative director. Um, but I fleshed out my team. And as we grew, um, I realized the need was less about like specific ad buying and more about like crafting overall marketing objectives and, and, and plans. And so a lot of my job right now is I work directly with the, all the account leads on pretty much all the projects. And they come to me, we sit down, we create game plans for all the artists, we figure out how to pivot. Um, so I've got my brain in just about every project that we work in some capacity. Um, uh, and honestly, it's where I've always just lived. Like even as a manager, I wanted to be in the marketing part of it. Like that, that part was interesting, coming up with big ideas and executing That's them. Great being it's fun it's it is the fun part i chose the fun job for myself uh not to say that it, it can be a grind we do these things called uh because i'm still i still run the media department but um we do these ad audits which we do like four of them a week and they're hour longs where we'll literally tediously go through every single ad and we'll look at them and we'll figure out how to improve them and it's so it's so tedious and it's it's necessary but it's like the one part of my job we actually, our, our old media director um, just left for a really amazing gig. And he's like, dude, I'm going to miss this job so much, but I'm not going to miss the ad audits. The, me the media <laughs> audits, the ad audits. So wait, so first of all, who is like the ideal artist or customer for venture? Because someone like Meg Myers has a label deal behind her. So I'm assuming that this is in partnership, you know, with her team. Is it someone you can, if you have more of a built out team, can you still, you know, can venture come in still add a lot of value or is it more for people who have less of a team or who are more independent? Who's the ideal person to tap into venture services? You know, man, it, it kind of runs the gambit. Um, we have artists that have literally never existed that we're working with growing from scratch. Um, some of those artists are on major labels. Some of them are guys. I've got one guy who is a um, radiologist and he has a metal band and he finally has enough money that he's like, I'm going to go for this. Like, I'm going to do this. Uh, and so it, it, 
it really, for us, it, it depends. Like the way we process new clients is we share them with the team and we see what the excitement level is. Um, and because th- that's everything. And that's one thing we learned hiring people is that um, you can't keep people in the music industry unless they're excited about the music that they're working on because they can make way more money selling doorknobs somewhere else, right? So if they're not excited about the music, they might as well sell doorknobs because they'll make more money doing it. Um, so we that's, that's really our only criteria. Uh, I will say that I don't want to pick up art. I, meant, I said this earlier, but if an artist really came to me and he's like, I've saved for years and this is my last bit of money, please help me. Uh, you know, I don't want, I don't even know if that's even a smart way to hire, like to spend your money on one company, like you're better off just spending your money on like a friend to help you do everything, you know? So, uh, but for us, you know, somebody with a budget, I mean, to, to the extent of being able to advertise, um, you know, it's not that we don't have organic strategies. I mean, a lot of what we do is contingent on, um, being able to, uh, you know, grow organically on TikTok and like we have a really robust social team that works with artists to grow people organically but at the end of the day we need the ability to throw gas on the fire to make things happen and so you know we're not necessarily a cheap service uh, but I will say that we are definitely cheaper than some of our competitors we've definitely come in with some of our competitors have been around for 20 years and really disrupted things because a lot of new marketing companies, what they try to do, and this, there's nothing wrong with this, but they'll like choose a lane. They'll be like, uh, we only do playlisting, right? Which, you know, is a thing. Or they'll be like, what's that? RIP to the only, we only do playlisting. Uh, But, or, or they'll be like, you know, we have this network and we'll push it through the network or we do like in-store shop. Like they do like one dimensional things and there's nothing wrong with that. They're usually small teams. What we set out to craft was a marketing team that can be ingested into any team and really just be a robust version of what you already had. So like we just started a a really great relationships with Quartz Hill as like Joe Nichols. um, And we're coming in as just their marketing department more or less. Um, And and that that to me is the company that we wanted to build. And there's really not a whole lot of other companies like that. Uh, but the ones that have are around have existed for a long time and they're very expensive and uh, they're certainly not particularly happy with us trying to like kick down the door. Venture music is coming in. So wait, so what's the process for, I don't know, let's say like a mid-level artist who's coming in has just hired Venture. Maybe they're still in the trial period of you guys deciding if they're the right artist for them. Is there like a... Um, you know, some like, like, like what's the first step to onboarding an artist? What does it look like? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll tell you that it's, it's different for all of them. It depends on their objectives. You know, there's an artist that we're about to get started with and their biggest issue is that they, this is not, this is a good problem to have. They have a song that's just blowing up. It's all, but it's extremely passive. Like they don't know where these people are. They know why it's blowing up because it's a sound on TikTok, but all the people listening to the sound don't know it's them. So they're getting, you know, 40, 50,000 streams a day on this song. Um, but they're just like, what do we, how do we turn them into ticket sales? So that whole process of like understanding where those people are, like onboarding them and creating a strategy is sort of the point. With Quartz Hill, it's completely different. Obviously, like marketing for a label is a whole different endeavor. So it's, it's literally an artist that is tiny in comparison to that. 
Uh, I mean, we even have an artist that hasn't even released music yet. And her whole thing is that she just wants us to help her create TikTok content around her unreleased music to create a presence before she starts releasing music. And it's a small budget. It's not a lot of time, but it's hugely helpful for her, her to get on the phone with our social team every week, come up with a bunch of ideas, and then we help her edit those together. A quick reminder before we dive back in. If you are a professional working in the country music industry, it is time, the time is now, to renew your membership to the Academy of Country Music. If you're not a member yet, that's okay. There's still time to join. Academy members are among the most respected leaders in the industry and hold the right to vote on ACM awards. They also receive exclusive benefits, including monthly educational panels and invites to networking events, early access to tickets for Academy events, discounts for ACM partner events, regular industry data and insights, and so much more. If you're interested in applying for membership or if you need to renew your membership, visit acmcountry.com slash membership. Again, that's acmcountry.com slash membership. All applications and renewals are due by October 15th. Come on, get involved. It's no brainer. Back to the episode. Here we go. What are, so first of all, so digital strategy, creative and content and paid media. I'm looking at, these are the pillars that are on the website. With enough budget, can venture basically do everything? Or do you always need a little bit of buy-in from an artist and the team? Or does it fluctuate sort of, you know, how much is venture doing versus how much does the artist need to get involved and actually be involved in making the content and posting and, and you know, doing what they do? I mean, certainly like we have clients that we pretty much do all of it, but still like when it comes to like actually creating like content and right now it's all about short form video content. Right. Um, it's, it's, it requires some level of engagement from the audience, right? Because right now it's all about being genuine. And, um, you know, like we just had a meeting where this artist, you know, that that's his biggest struggle is that he's, he's actually doing really well, but he just doesn't have that much engaging content. And so we still need him. We need him to work on this, whether with his team or with us. Sometimes we, we reach out to, or we go out and meet the artist and we shoot the stuff. Um, it really depends on the level, but we also have younger clients that are really smart that don't need us. They really use us as like an idea machine where we just get with them once a week and we give them ideas and we do edit a lot of those videos together. But for the most part, they'll come back to us a day later and they're like, hey, I posted these nine ideas or I, I made these nine uh, pieces of content. When do I post them? How do I engage with like, so it's it, man, it runs the gambit. Um, and of course, there's things that we don't do, like there's parts of marketing. I mean, marketing is so wide and varied, like we don't do in store music, right? Like we don't do that. Like we don't do certain things. But when it comes to media, social media, really anything digital, we pretty much cover that. Will you help hire influencers also? Or is that kind of a different yeah. space as well? Yeah, all the time. Now, we're not like a machine like Songfluencer is where they're, they're a little bit more. That's their pure business model. Yeah. And I'll tell you that like what we do is a little bit more ingrained into whatever marketing strategy we have. So if you come to us and you strictly want to do an influencer marketing campaign, we actually have a pretty low budget we go by and we, we try to first work on the content. And once we get like something that we feel like people will use and share, then we'll reach out to our network. But then we sometimes 
like take part of their budget and we're like, okay, now take this part of the budget and go hire a song closer. Now go yeah, they do great work. Hire Sweetie High because it's it's a volume thing and depending on your budget, everybody has different relationships and you might need to end up hiring four different companies. Right. So what is a strategy if you do have a song or a sound that's blowing up on TikTok? That is the big thing that the song can blow up and the artist can be left in the dust. What are some strategies to making sure that doesn't happen or if you find yourself in a viral moment with a viral sound, what are some of the best ways to capitalize on it? Well, certainly getting the artist on the platform and connecting those dots right away and doing it consistently. Like you can't just go on and be like, hey, have you heard this? This is me. I mean, that's that's the strategy, but then you've got to do that every day. Like, because it's a numbers game with TikTok. Like you could have a piece of content one day, do nothing and repost it the next day, which don't repost it, but you could use the same thing and it's just as likely to blow up. Um, so on the surface level, like you just have to be there. And again, like this other artist that's dealing with this, you know, if you ask me that question, there's not a secret sauce. It's like, just be, and they're like, but that's a lot of work. And I'm like, yeah, that's, and that's why we exist because it, it, it takes a lot of work to create all that content, to create ideas. Um, but there's some clever things that we do. Like, like we'll take like a piece of content that's doing kind of well on their, um, on their TikTok, and we'll run a boost behind it strictly meant to create engagement. Because on the back end, we can take everybody who's engaged with that boost, and then we can create a, like a, a warm audience from that, that we're retargeting them and getting them to do something deeper, like sign up for SMS or email marketing. Right. Uh, so we, we want to create a funnel. And that's a lot of our strategy when it comes to like achieving objectives is how can we create seven different strategies that get somebody who just happened to hear one TikTok with a song all the way down into a funnel where they're buying a ticket to a show. Um, and that's the question that we're always answering for every single client. Like, even if we don't get there within whatever time period we're working with, everything still has to lead in that direction. And everything has to be owned by the client because they, once we're gone, they have to be able to continue that effort. If, if we're a dead end, if we own all the data and they let us go and that's the end of it, we provide no value at that point. Um, so that's a really big thing for us too, because when we were managers, we'd hire marketing companies and they'd hoard all our data and then they would hold it hostage. They would be like, well, if you leave us, you're going to lose out on all of this. And it was just like, that's not cool. That's not Dude, that was standard practice though. It yeah. still is. It still is. is, but it's not, but it's fine. Cause it feels like it's not their data or it's the artist's data. They, it should at least be shared. Can't we share the, can we they share don't the even want to, here? Dude, they I'll tell to, you that. Is that true? work with some labels who have systems in place. Like we work with their artists. They're like, no, we want you to run all your ads through our machine. And I'm like, but you can't access the data. You can't retarget. You can't do anything in their machine. And that's the point. Like they don't, they don't want you to, because they want to maintain control. It, it's a bummer for sure. I mean, it's another reason we got out of management because our major label clients, the marketing that was done at the major label for some of our clients were just, they're just bad. It was just like, they would just throw up at copy. The, the funniest thing is copy, you know, the, 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 the writing. Is what you write. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like that was not even considered important. Like literally, if, and you probably see it all the time on social media. All the copy is like, my song, this, out now. Like, it's all that. And when we were like, hey, can we do something else? Like, everybody else says this. They were just like, no, that's the copy. Like, they, <laughs> you know, and then- Is there something, I think you see this a lot with maybe people 
or I don't know. I think you just see this a lot where I feel like when you go selling out this date, that's very like me, 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 right? How do you think you create content that's kind of for you, for the audience? We know how it's done, but but like, what are some tips to, to not yeah. be like, hey, pre-save my song, which is all about me. How how do you flip that message so you can still get your, your audience to take action, but make it about them and to make it something that they're going to be engaged with? I mean, it's a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so for, first thing it's it's disruption, like, and disruption doesn't always have to be a half naked lady, right? Like disruption can mean a lot of different things, but you have to be disruptive. And it goes back to them wanting to use the same copy over and over again. You, people, when they're on their feed, whether it's TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, every time they get on, they're programming themselves on getting better and better on what to skip. And so the more your ad looks like everybody else's, the more likely they're not going to pay attention. Even if it's a song they might, they don't even get to the song, especially on TikTok, man. Like they scroll up and instantly if they read that it's an ad, they just go. They don't care what the message And TikTok is. knows in the algorithm by fractions of a second, if you're hovering on a post or if you're moving quick, like the algorithm gets so tailored to you that, mm-hmm. that you know, they know in seconds whether you want to watch something or not. But anyway, okay, so, so yeah, so... So, so disruption, and then the next thing you want to think of is once you disrupt them, um, there's, there's sort of like a, um, there's an immediate disruption, something that catches their eye, and then there's like an aftermath disruption where you have to then keep them for more than three seconds. So usually like we like to include a hook. And a hook doesn't always have to be like, a, like really clickbaity. It can really just be something relatable. Um, honestly, going the relatable route is usually the best way for artists because their music generally is relatable. Well, some, most of the time, right? Like good music is often relatable. So getting them to understand what your song is about right out of the gate and even trying to make it as personal as possible. Like, hey, my mom died last year. This sounds exploitive. That's a bad example. But you know what? Let's go with it. That my might be a good example, year, actually. Right? Like, my mom died last year, and I wrote this song about it. Okay, like, all of a sudden, everybody can relate to that. Whether your mom's dead or not, like, it's everybody relates to that immediately. And so they're going to stop. They're going to be like, okay, what's this song? And then, of course, if the song is good, that, that's the moment for your music to shine. So once you get through all those initial moments, then finally your music has to stand up or not. Um, but that's, I mean, that's what it did. That, that would be my, that's what we do. And it works. It for sure works. Do you think, you know, early on, it felt like it was maybe easier to go viral on TikTok. There was less clutter and maybe the app was a little underdeveloped. Do you think today, is there still room to become a Charlie or an Addison or to have massive growth? Is it, is it a lot harder now? Do you see it getting harder? Well, I think you should only ask those questions about whether to be you can be an Addison if you're one step below an Addison. I think the best question is to ask how to get to whatever next step you need to get to. If you're at 5,000 followers and that's the kind of engagement you have, how do you get to 100,000? But once you're at 100,000, you're like, how do I get to half a million? Um, but there is room for all of that. There, it, it, we, we, it happens all the time. Um, I'll take an artist that when we started working with them in February, they probably had, they were already doing fairly well, like 15, 20,000 followers on the platform. Um, but they were reposting a lot of content. They, they actually had a really great audience on Twitch and they would take a lot of that content and repost it. And so we got them to do a little bit more kind of like microphone up to the screen, get to know them a little bit more. 
Um, and then with the question, it was like, let's get to 100,000. And then we had a couple of pieces of content. And I mean, it was funny because it took us forever to get to 100,000. Um, but once we got to 100,000, they were like in a group. And then it was about consistency. And we finally hit on an idea that would consistently drive a million to 7 million views per piece of content. And now they just, within the last two weeks, went from 100,000 to 600,000 followers. Can you um, share who and, this is? Or is it or yeah, uh, how private? Is their name? I don't know if they're going to be mad that I shared it, but I'm, I'm sure they won't even watch this. Uh, no, no offense. They're just not in Nashville. Sorry. That was kind of, that's not what I mean. I just uh, took it to mean that the artist probably, you know, whatever. This is. They've got oh, their own stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no I, I get, I get. Okay. Couple rapid fire questions here. What is something that your clients do that pisses you off? And what is the way to win your heart as a client? As a client? Uh, Man, this, it's, that's a tough one to answer because I have to say it the right way. Well, um, what is the best way? Let me, let me phrase it differently. How, how can someone be the best client for venture music? Because you want, you want to get the most out of venture, to have you guys motivated to, you know, what, how can a client be a good client? Yes, which is, in my opinion, a good client is somebody who gets the most value out of us. Uh, and that's somebody who works their ass off. Like we are accelerators of what you're already doing. So the, le the more you're doing, the bigger impact that we have on your career. Um, so many artists that work with us drag their feet on getting things done. And at the end of the day, if things aren't done, we can't do anything. Um, and honestly, it's sometimes our job to figure out who those artists are. We, we don't always know, right? Like Sometimes you just get to work and you're like, oh man, they're, it's taking them weeks to get us. And then when they finally get it to us the day, the day later, they're like, why isn't this done? You're like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, but, um, but for sure, it's like, it's not, I've said this to potential clients too. Like if I kind of sniff out that they're not ready for us, they're not putting in the work. I'm like, you're going to waste your money. Like I'm saving you money by saying no to this. And it has nothing to do with your music, but you haven't done this. You haven't done this. You haven't done this. Go do these things. Like that alone, me telling you to go do those things is, is more value than I can provide if you were to hire us right now. And do um, people get defensive or you, do people kind of respond to that? And how often do people go off and do those things and then come back to you? Actually, people really don't. Like when you're honest with the artist, like I've never had somebody be like, how dare you? Like ever. It's actually wild to me because I sort of made this decision last year to just be upfront when I say no to people and why. And it's never backfired. And I think that there maybe is a lack of honesty in the music industry that maybe these people appreciate. Um, and on, honestly, a lot of them do go and do it. Um, like what's something that, you, that you'd have to set? Like what are a couple of things that you would need in place in order to come in and have venture, you know, take over and, and make the most of it? I, I will look at their posting history. If they want us to come in, especially social media management, if they want us to come in, that, that's the thing we say no to literally 90% of the time. Because if they're posting and their content isn't at a level where they need help managing it, it's such a waste of money. Um, so I, I will say no to that 90% of the time. Um, if they aren't already on a platform and their expectations like I want to get to 500,000 followers and I want to hire you for three months to get me there. All right. That it, it could happen, but like you haven't posted anything ever. So how do I know that you're going to be posting enough for me to help you get there? 
So why don't you go ahead and create an account? Here are some ideas and I'll send them over a list of ideas. Just try to knock some of this stuff out. Um, and if they do it and come back, honestly, they usually end up being like, it's, they're like, look, like, can you help me do more? And it's good. And if they don't do it, I saved them money. You know, and, right. they weren't going to do it anyways. Right. Um, and that's the thing too. Like there's a lot of people who just want to throw money at stuff and you have to smell those people out because it will, it will always fail. And they're usually the people who then, you know, when things aren't going well, because they're not doing the work are the litigious type. And so it's really easy to be like, if they're not doing the work, that's like a red flag where it could solve all those other problems. That's okay. What do you think is one of the biggest mistakes that you see digital marketers making today? Um, not targeting people that are retargetable, first and foremost. Like, and even I would love to take that question from the standpoint of the manager too, because the manager is almost oftentimes the marketer and they're usually hiring small companies don't that, that are doing like those little one-off things, but it goes back to don't hire companies that dead end your data. Like don't, if they're, if they have their own closed off ecosystem that they're going to push your numbers and never tell you who those people are, don't hire them. Like you're, I, I've been on the other side of that so many times where they're like, we hired so-and-so and then like, here we are three months later and all of that stuff is gone. Like that, that is literally 50% of the people that we worked with have hired a company like that. Um, so just don't, everything you do has to be retargetable. Every person has to at some point be able to get to be a ticket holder or a merchandise buyer. If, if you can't make that connection with anybody you're marketing to, then it's a waste of time and money. Um, that, that's my biggest piece of advice. Cause I see that over and over again, because honestly, people don't understand what their objectives are. They, they're like, I need my numbers to come up. And that's, that's fair. I get that. I get the, like, I need my numbers to go up and that's certainly, but, but like, you sort of have to dig down. Like, why it's like, it's like people, like you want more money. Like, well, why, like, why do you want more? What are you going to do like, with the money? Why do you, what wanna... are you going to like, what is it? How are things going to change? Like what is money except what you can spend it on? Fair enough. Okay. Okay. Wait. So how can people get in touch? If you think you are an artist that's right for venture, you've got everything going on already. How can people get in touch? Venturemusic.com and click the contact tab right at the top. Is that the best yeah, way? Yeah, I kind of hate that that's the best way to do it. it feels well, like give me a better problem. way. Is there a better way? I mean, you can email me, Dustin, at venturemusic.com. Um, I, I get plenty of emails. It's just sometimes easier to deal with the inputs through the website. Um, and you, you, you're going to get a response from somebody here, but if, if your listeners want to email me directly, that's perfectly fine. What do you say? Something I hear about every marketing company in town at some point, I talked to a lot, you know, I talked to everyone at some point I hear someone say, Oh, I'd love to use X marketing company, but they're so expensive. Or I think they're overpriced. People say that about if I feel like every marketing company, what do you say? Say something like that. You know, Dude, I, I used to say that as a manager. I used yeah. to feel like you used like, to feel that way. Now you're in it. Now you're on the other side. Are these companies yeah. overpriced or does it take that much to have great work done? I, this sounds conceited. I don't feel like we charge what we're worth. I feel like we're worth more than what we charge, but we're in a competitive environment and we're growing and it's paid off for us to charge a little bit less. That said, we still are expensive. Like it's still a lot of money every single month. Um, and it's tough because we definitely pour more time into clients. Like we have set hours. Like we, we count all the hours. We don't, 
but we don't adhere to them. Like pretty much on every project we're over hours, like all the time. Um, because we all came from that world where we were on the other side of it. And we're just like, and now, you know, I'm, I'm the oldest person at the company too. So you have a lot of young people who are super hungry that want to just do good work. Um, but I think that that's the biggest challenge that I have. And honestly, like sometimes it's guilt-ridden. Uh, as a manager, I actually really sucked at charging people. Like I, if it wasn't for Chris, honestly, like I think I'd just be still be working for free essentially because I just don't have the guts. You know, it's, it's tough. It's tough to have that conversation. But my approach has always been to just be straight up with these artists. Like I, like I don't play coy and then send them a proposal. I like if they if they talk to me and they're like, hey, what what are your prices? Like, what does it look like? I just flat out say it because it's not worth. It's just worth just everybody being upfront. Like, and sometimes artists are just like, oh, like that's that's great. Like that's super affordable. Like to them it is. And some people are like, I appreciate being upfront. That's like way outside my budget. And then I even have like freelance guys because yeah, here's the other thing like we're full service like like I said we do so much stuff but sometimes they are like I just need a guy to help me like get these ads up and I got a freelance guy that can just like help with that at a fraction of the cost and so if I can connect them with somebody that makes more sense for the level of budget they have then like that makes me way happier than trying to like force them into uh, a, a project with us which is like the worst by the way like I can't imagine <laughs> service trying to force an artist outside their budget like you're just you have to work with these people every single week it's not like you're selling them like a lemon of a car right like you're yeah right right and then they go drive away you've got to be in constant contact with these people yeah and if you force them even if it's totally valuable and they can barely afford it they're gonna feel it like they're and you're gonna feel it they're gonna be on the phone with you being like i'm i'm not gonna eat next week because i gave you all this money so you have to like (laughs) So anyways, that's not a very good answer, but uh, you know, it's, it's a tough spot. Like, especially I think anybody working in a service like this, uh, that, uh, used to be in artist management or used to be an artist, like we understand like the hurt and the pinch, you know, I really feel that way. I'm talking to people who have used venture. I've heard, I mean, amazing things from artists. I mean, from people who have worked with venture, I've, I honestly, I've never heard anyone say anything, but very positive things. Any uh, any big success stories or any uh, projects that we're working on right now that we're excited about that we can share or talk about? Uh, the Quartz Hill thing is really exciting. I don't, it's too late now I've said it. Um, <laughs> so it's out there. But I, I just realized, I don't know if I'm allowed to say anything about it yet, but I do. Should we edit out? We'll edit out. We're going to edit half of this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's done. Uh, Hallocene is super cool. They're such a cool act. Um, I work, I've been working with this one artist, Ben Schuler, for two years, and we've been able to take his career from being like, I think you've met him, by the way. In fact, you and I, I met him at a party I was at with you. Ben Schuler. Ben Schuler. We are, I was at, I maybe you weren't at, it was a, it was a, uh, oh, working eight. Yeah, it was. It was I at that working eight party. Yeah. Yeah. The one like three. Years I don't ago. think, I don't think that's where I met you, but that's where we like. No, I met him there. You met I him was, there. You were just there. And like yeah. I was talking to you and then I met him there. Um, but he, I've been working with him for two years and he was like a cover guy and we've been able to successfully pivot his career to like an actual like songwriter and singer right. and like people know him for that. And um, and we're just now rolling out like a bunch of touring stuff for him. And um, I'm super excited about that. Um, 
but uh, we just hired some really good people. We're also looking for a new account manager. We're expanding. So um, talk to me about scaling the business for me, because you guys, I remember talking to you, maybe this wasn't the actual timeline, but I remember talking to you and there were literally three people in the company. It was you and, and Brian and Chris. And then I'd be like a couple months later, there were like 13 people in the company or maybe it was six months. Maybe the timeline wasn't that quick, but you guys jumped really quick, quickly, right? Yeah. I'll tell you this, that I often say that the hardest, like the easiest thing about this job is marketing artists that scaling and running the business is hard and none of us have done it before. Um, so we learned a lot of really hard lessons. Like our, our service last year was really one dimensional because that's the way we thought it was going to go. And it wouldn't have been bad, except that we were really, really, really good at running strategic and clever ads in ways that nobody had ever thought of, except it doesn't take a whole lot to see those ads and figure out very quickly what we were doing. So by the end of the year, we would literally see like our ads copied verbatim and strategies copied verbatim. And so we were like, this is a problem. Like this is not good. So what we figured out was that um, the one thing that you can't replicate is talented social people creating really good content. That's just nearly impossible to recreate. Um, So we pivoted and that has worked out really well. Um, but man, I'll tell you that, like, I wasn't quite prepared for, you know, hiring people. I, my instincts, my hiring instincts are horrible. Like just, I, I hire the wrong people every time without fail. I rely on smart, like people around me to kind of, who's the best hire in the business. Is it Chris or who, who Chris, Chris, Chris and Brian are both brilliant at it. Like they, they almost were, I've been, I've hired, I think I've hired like two people personally here and both, both, it just didn't work out because <laughs> I'm really when people talk to me, I really get glued in to that. Like, if you're a good talker, I'm like, I like this guy. But good <laughs> talkers are often not great doers. Um, and so that had been my issue. And so when I gave it up to them, they every hire they've had has just been phenomenal. Like, it's just so. So that's their job. Uh, I make sure that they're qualified sometimes, like when it comes to the media department. But like, man, I'll tell you that even like my gut, like, the best hire I ever made here, my gut was telling me somebody else and I went against my gut and, um, and listened to Brian on something and we hired this person and she's just been like, like one of the the best people I've worked with. I mean, just hands down. So, okay. Yeah. We learned a lot though, man. I mean, honestly it comes from just the fact that, like I said, I'm the oldest person at this company. Like we're all kind of young and learning how to scale a business. It's not it's not as easy as I thought it was going to be, which I don't know why I thought it was going to be. <laughs> what have we left out here? Have we, have we, have we mentioned, have we, any, what's been unsaid? What have we left out here? I think that's pretty comprehensive. Thank you for having me though. I, I love these things. Like I I'm envious of you. Cause like, if I got to do this as a job, just talk to people like this, it's such an awesome thing to do. Wow. There you go. Justin Boyer on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for listening. And uh, hey, if you need to, if you need to get a good night's sleep tonight, check out the uh, the sleep uh, sounds on Spotify. That Dustin's very anti. He this is uh, killing the ecosystem, but it makes for a great night's sleep. Actually, believe it or not, um, crazy though. You learn about some crazy things on this show. The Zach June Show is mixed by Sam Heyman, and our theme music is by Justin Johnson. If you want more content from us. You can subscribe to our newsletter at nashvillebriefing.com or you can follow us on socials, everything at Nashville Briefing. 
The Zach Keen Show is part of the American Songwriter Podcast Network, and we're proud to be part of it. It's a great network with some great shows. Go online, check it out. And you, you know what? I think that's it. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. And um, yeah, bye.